So with that, trusting you are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, give your attention to the reading of God's word. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not that thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to a word that challenges our flesh greatly. And even the minister's own flesh must be put into subjection. Uh, for even the servant of God uh, that comes to minister is often uh, challenged in going the wrong way when it comes to the public ministry, uh, public worship. And so we pray that the Spirit of God would uh, once again rest on your servant that he would preach faithfully, uh, would not preach with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of God. We pray that the people of God would incline their ear, that they would hearken themselves unto God and the voice of God from the Holy Scriptures, and that they would consider what it is that they do as they come near our holy God. We pray now, Father, then, that you would bless this time and speak, Lord, for thy servants heareth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the topics that is rife throughout the scriptures is that of practical atheism. Practical atheism. And when the Christian is spoken of here as being potentially a fool, that is to be inclined in the direction of the fool says in his heart there is no God. And so there is this concept that we are not loath to grab a hold of, which is that even one who professes belief in God, in the triune God, could probably recite the Nicene Creed and probably give you an entirety of the shorter catechism, can still, in many ways, great and small, even with true saving faith, be counted as a fool because they do not practically live as though God is. You see, in so many ways, how we approach God actually determines whether we truly believe in God. And when it comes to worship, even born-again believers, and I will confess this as well, as this is the infirmity of my flesh as well as yours, we can approach God with a level of thoughtlessness and carelessness. You know, just think about worship services, and I have been as guilty of this as, as any here, undoubtedly. In service, right, our minds often drift away. Uh, we lose track of what is being preached or even what is being read out of the scripture, so we can't even often blame the minister's poor preaching. 
And when praying, as the minister leads in prayer, we actually have very little sense of God at times as we pray, and we drift off. And sometimes, some of you, maybe even now, as I had prayed earlier, we're starting to think about the day ahead and what you were about to do there, and maybe even what dinner plans you have for tonight. Or when we are one praying, and so some of this came out of the prayer meeting that we were in, but uh, you might think if you're the one praying, you might multiply your words so that men can hear us. And ministers are guilty of that at the pulpit too, is to multiply words uh, in such a way that men are hearing us without realizing what, what is the issue there. Right, The Pharisees were guilty of this. Right, they, they trumpet themselves in every street corner so men could see them praying. Who's the real audience for prayer? It's God. Right? It's God. And so we are proven practical atheists, right? Uh, ministers as well, when they preach, right, they sometimes think of their audience rather than the one who is going to judge. And there's a right way to think of the people of God, right? what they need to hear and so on. But uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sometimes, here's, here's something that, that was said to me. Before I went to the last uh, synod meeting and I was uh, uh, chosen to preach one of the, the sermons there, I had a minister, and I kid you not, say this to me, said, wow, that is going to be quite intimidating, isn't it, to preach to all the elders? I was like, have you no thought of God? That God is the one who judges, not the ministers, not the elders. It doesn't matter if I'm preaching to just my family here, if they were the only ones in attendance. The same God is judging, right? But even in that, you see, we as ministers can be practical atheists, and we can offer the sacrifice of fools, not having no sense of God, God is the one who judges in pulpit and in public prayer. I recently heard this saying, and it was very convicting. Uh, uh, a man said, I don't know who it was, and I don't know if it was original to him anyway. He said something like this, there is so little private prayer because God is the only one in attendance. In other words, if we knew that there were others to attend to our prayer, we would probably pray more. But because God is the only one, who attends to private prayer. Besides you, there are so few of us who pray. And I think that's a stinging indictment on what we think of the Almighty. And when it comes to public worship then, and we think on this theme of the sacrifice of fools, we can think that our mere presence in God's house is sufficient. I was speaking to a brother about something related to this in between services, and there's a whole generation in Scotland wiped out in the church because they dutifully came to the worship services and their children have left have left the faith there's a like a, a gap of generation and what often you hear there is yes we just went to church that was our duty and we didn't have a sense that we were approaching the almighty and so just showing up beloved to church god is not going to say for that bare fact well done good and faithful servant now, is he? Uh, in actuality, we can be here and be guilty of what Solomon in our text calls the sacrifice of fools, uh, saying that we do not recognize by faith that we meet the God who in Hebrews 12, we've considered this not too long ago, is a consuming fire, right? God, the judge of all. That's who we meet in the public assembly. And so what is it that we communicate when we take our place in the public assembly but have had no care to engage our heart, our mind, our soul, our body with the public worship of God, with the worship of God even in private and, and family worship, true. But this is a series on public worship. 
What we are saying when we come to God in that manner is that we do not believe that God is and is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, which is, of course, found in the sort of definition of faith, isn't it? Friends, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, You and I can go out and be the world's greatest apologist for the triune God, but really in some ways, uh, and I could even be an evangelist going to every land, but in some ways, right, our care in attendance to public worship communicates whether we are practical atheists ourselves, offering the sacrifice of fools. And so we should have no interest in offering the sacrifice of fools. And so let us carefully consider our text to give glory to God and not risk offending him. And our theme is careful conduct in God's house, careful conduct in God's house. And we'll consider that under four directives that arise out of the text. And the first is prepare carefully. And I'm going to treat these briefly tonight. Uh, three of these sections will later become, I believe, sermons in their own right. First, prepare carefully. And this is where we'll spend the bulk of the time. Verse 1, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Now, this text pertains to going to God's house. At that time, it was the temple, right? Solomon built the temple of God. But in our time, the physical temple is abolished, destroyed by Christ in AD 70. And this is, I think, perhaps you might pardon the expression, the cherry on top, an Islamic holy site, right? thrown right on top of it so that it can never be resurfaced to return to old ceremonies and rituals as Christ's final sacrifice has been accomplished. But today, the house of God, and we have to be clear on this, when I say, right, when uh, before public worship, how good it is to be in the house of God, we're not really talking about our building, are we? No, it is the people of God altogether are the house of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, know ye... Not that ye, now this is one of the helps of the authorized version, ye being plural, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So in our time then, as we connect this text to our situation today, even tonight, what is in view here as the house of God is the public assembly of God's people, even as we heard about it in Psalm 50 in our call to worship. And when you go to God's house, to the public assembly, our Lord says you are to keep thy foot. Now, that might be a strange thought or expression to you. It's a Hebrew idiom. Uh, Some other translations try to uh, explain it by um, not using the idiom, but the idiom is actually very helpful. Uh, First, let's ask, is the Lord saying, well, as you enter the parking lot and you make your way to the door, that you're just to be very careful, take very careful steps leading into the building. Uh, No, that's not what he has at all. Uh, The connection in the text is be more ready to hear. Your walking prepares you to hear, and it's not physical walking uh, that is in view. Uh, Pardon the play on words. I'm not one to normally do this, but I think it might be helpful here. What is not in view are the soles of your feet, but the feet of your soul so to speak, right? In other words, it's not your physical activity to move your body, but it's actually the preparation of your soul. Uh, The feet in this Hebrew idiom concerns the motive part of your soul. And if you're a Sabbatarian, of course, you know this from Isaiah 58, verse 13. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, and so on. Uh, The idiom of our feet then 
has, is understood as the motive force for our soul, for our heart, right? Just as our body is moved by our feet, what moves the mind? What moves the, the soul? It's the affections. It's the heart, right? And so the heart must be prepared before you come to the house of God. And so what this lays on us is the need to prime our affections before we come to the house of the Lord. There are two reasons for this, of course. The first is to bring glory to God. Consider the exhortation at the end of verse 7, but fear thou God, right? And so when you think of coming into God's house, right, your soul must have a reverential fear of the Lord. I'm coming to meet uh, the one we sang of in Psalm 114, after all, the one that the mountains quake before, right? And let me say something that is necessary for us to remember, beloved of God, and if you've had any length of Christian experience, you know I am saying the truth. The fear of God must constantly be rekindled in us. It goes out very quickly, right? One day we seem to fear the Lord. We have a reverential reverential awe of God. And then the next day, it seems like it's all gone, right? We're prone to lose it. It's never what it ought to be in the first place. But even those times when we glimpse the majesty of God, and maybe we glimpse it in a sermon or we read Isaiah 6 and we glimpse the same glory of God by the Spirit that Isaiah did, we are so prone to have the memory of that and the imprint of it on our soul just fade away, even as Moses over time would lose the glory of God reflecting upon his face. You and I are prone to lose the fear of God. And you know it, and I know it. It's the infirmity of our flesh to forget who God is and what you and I are in contrast to the Almighty. But this is a constant encouragement in the scriptures of both Old and New Testaments, to fear God and to sanctify Him and to hallow Him in your heart. Do you remember how we began our series on gospel worship? When Aaron's sons were consumed, right? Leviticus 10.3, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people will I be glorified. You think God has changed His mind on that? That He will no longer be sanctified by us. You know, what that means is that he is to be sanctified in our hearts before we come to him, knowing who he is and that we are to hallow him. Uh, We are not to trample his courts. We don't come before him without care. Uh, He's very gracious to us in Christ, and yet this is still our obligation, right? Amos' cry, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. We are always to prepare to meet our God. We come to meet God. We come and prepare to meet, uh, imagine, uh, the president of your company, if you are uh, an employee, uh, summoned you to his office. So I want to speak to you. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't just waltz right in there if you work in a company where that man has any sort of power. And so it is with us. Uh, We've heard time and time again as well, this is not just an Old Testament teaching because God does not change. Uh, You might remember this abiding principle in the New Testament, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, that is thanks, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And what is very helpful about those verses is sometimes Christians are prone to be in one ditch or another, right? 
Uh, we're sometimes prone to be those who, who just fear God, and we have no sense that God is for us. Or we can be a kind of Christian who thinks that we're going to be clappy happy with Jesus as our best chum and slap him on his back with our Bible and have no fear of God. But this text actually shows us both, not in this wrong way of happy clappy, right, being around Jesus like he's our chum, but that we are to be both uh, filled with a reverential fear of God, but a great joy of thanksgiving that we get to come to him through Christ, Right? Fear and thanks are not contrary things. We have received from pure grace a kingdom unshakable. But that does not mean we can come with irreverence to God. More godly fear, really. And some of this I'm retreading because it sets the scene for why we need to prepare. We need to have more godly fear as Christians when we come into God's presence. Because as you heard this morning, God did not spare his own son for us. Right, The fire, the consuming fire of God consumed Christ in our place. And so the question is, should we not come before God with both fear and thanks? Should we not tremble at his goodness as we heard from Jeremiah this morning? And so in Hebrews 12, you find the right way to keep thy foot, which is to have a godly fear and awe and reverence of God as well as thanks for Christ. And I think you need to remember as well uh, brethren, that as you prepare to come to meet God, I've mentioned it in several of our prayers today, worship is our solemn duty and obligation to the Lord. Right? We're prone to forget this. Uh, Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord who is what? Worthy to be praised. That is our obligation. You know, often, and I've been guilty of this as well, ministers will often appeal to God's people to attend worship services, they appeal to them this way, and I've done this, so, and I'll get to why there's a proper way to do this. Uh, come to the worship services, feed on the primary means of grace. It is good for your soul. And it is. Don't get me wrong, it is. However, however, beloved, that is still to subvert the order. Uh, it's not that worship is good for us, it is. It is that we are under an obligation to worship God. And you can see how even in spiritual things, the devil gets right in there and gets his claws, doesn't he? And we make worship out to be about ourselves. There is something incredibly perverse about a heart. And again, I have said this kind of thing before that has the audacity to say, well, I did not get anything out of that service. If you really thought about what worship is, our obligation to God, well, God really doesn't think what you got out of the worship service, but rather that you came to give praise and glory to the one being who deserves it, right? I'm not defending, again, ministers who do a terrible job or if I've ever done a terrible job ministering in worship. However, most of the time when a person says, I did not get something out of it, it's I did not think that the sermon was engaging. I thought the singing could be better. I thought the prayers were too long or maybe they were too brief. Friend, if that is how you are thinking of worship, that makes you God. And worship is meant to be your obligation and mine too to God Almighty. So the first thing that we have to do when we prepare to come to meet with God, to keep our foot as we come to the house of God, is to remember these things, to increase our fear of God, to know who he is. 
And second, and I do mean second, prepare to meet God by, yes, prepare to have your soul filled with fatness. Uh, This is the blessing of God, right? The Holy Spirit is so gracious to honor those who come to worship God for who he is. Uh, And he is very pleased to fill you with Christ's fatness when you hunger for him. And I want you maybe to meditate on these words before you come to public worship. Uh, There's a promise associated with these words, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's the promise? For they shall be filled. You see, if you come hungry for Christ in the service, will he not fill you, right? And this is where our faith has to go. It's like, it's no point in complaining about being dry. Okay, you complain about being dry after the worship service. I will ask you, how did you prepare to come to meet God? What was your prayer like before the service? Where were your thoughts and your affections before you came to Christ? But when you come to the worship service humbly to give service to God, no matter how mean and meager the preaching is, no matter how bad the singing is, no matter how maybe repetitive the prayers are, the Lord will fill you, right? Do we not believe, right, that one word filled by the Holy Spirit out of this Bible, whether it's in the reading or in the preaching or the singing or or whatever, is enough to fill a soul for all of eternity if we would receive it by faith. For it is God who ministers to us. What a thing it would be that you have read four chapters of the Bible, uh, just in the readings, two in the preaching, close to two anyway, chapters, and you would say, well, I got nothing out of the service. Even if the preacher is a terrible preacher. What does that say of our faith? and what we believe about God, right? And the reason that we feel that way is we don't come prepared to meet with God, right? Uh, Faith knows that God can fill an infinite number of souls beyond overflowing and beyond the brim with the smallest word from God, and faith prepares for that. And here's the promise from God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. You know, before we come, we diligently seek him. You don't expect that you're going to come in here and then start to diligently seek him. You must prime the pump, so to speak, before you come. And so prepare your affections before the public meeting. And now some of us, I am very well aware, are under impression that the Lord's Day is a day of slothfulness. It's a day to wake up late. It's a day to be slow to rise. Uh, and I'm not talking about any particular medical issues you might have or times of life. That's not what I'm speaking of. I'm talking about just the ordinary, regular Christian who doesn't have any impediments. Uh, our morning service is at 10.30 a.m., right? Uh, and that gives you ample time, me too, ample time to meet God. If you knew that was who you were meeting, that would be ample time, right? Take uh, time in the morning on the Lord's Day, to prepare your heart to meet with God. This is one of the most productive things you can do on the Sabbath day. It really is. It multiplies the ministry that you will receive in the services. You know, Benjamin Franklin, for worldly reasons, said, early to bed, early to rise, right? And that was just for purely worldly reasons. However, there is a biblical 
pattern of arising early and maybe you need to go to bed early on Saturday night. Uh, that's what I do, by the way. I go to bed very early on Saturday night. But uh, uh, there is a biblical principle of arising early to do business with your Lord. Our Savior himself followed this pattern. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. Look at the ad. Look at how that's described. A great while before day, meaning a great while before day broke. He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Mark 1, verse 35. Our Lord was an early riser, and it was not just uh, so he can get more stuff done before everybody else disturbed him. It was so that he could meet God. David in Psalm 5, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Heman in Psalm 88, in a psalm of great despondency said, But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent or come before thee. You know, one of the things despondent people struggle with is getting out of bed. And what Heman does is he shows us that the, the despondent man or woman ought to go to the Lord early in prayer instead. And as you think, as this is the Lord's day, right? A day of meeting with our risen Savior. Before you meet with him, with the entire body assembled together, there is something quite precious about some time with him only. Some time with him alone. You know, I was thinking on meditating on this. The very first Lord's day, do you remember how Mary Magdalene went to seek out Jesus before the day had dawned? The first day of the week, the Lord's day, in other words, cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, John 20, verse 1. You know, I would encourage you, follow in her footsteps, brethren. If you really hunger and thirst for Christ, uh, on the Lord's day, don't hit the snooze button, right? Instead, use the precious morning hours to prepare to meet with the Lord. It should be a sweet time in reading, prayer, and meditation. Have high preparatory thoughts of God. And you think on some of these things, that, and this is not going to be exhaustive, but these are ways that you can, you can prepare to meet God. I, you think on God's holiness, right? You think of the Revelation, or you think of Isaiah 6, and you think of Leviticus 10, I will be sanctified by them that draw nigh me. And so as I think on the holiness of God, I search out my sins. I repent of them before I come to the worship service. But then I also remember that God's mercies are abundant in Christ, that mine is a free and full forgiveness of grace, that my salvation is not of works. Praise be to God. I think on the precious promises of God and the beauty of the Lord. I think of the cross. I think on how he is the chiefest of 10,000 and how his precious brow was pierced for my iniquities. I think on heaven and I think on Christ's present rule there and the glories that are prepared for them that love God. And I think of how this world is not my own and the Lord's day is preparing me for that. I think on the resurrection to come and as my outer man perishes and I think on how blessed it is my inner man is being renewed. I think that there is a resurrection that will come. I remember that this world is, uh, is nothing more than a staging ground, a, a sort of stopping off point on my pilgrimage to heaven, that this is not my home and that where Christ is, he is preparing a place for me to dwell with him forever. Is there not so much to think about, friends, and meditate on before the public service? 
Such meditations will help you keep the feet of your souls when you come into the house of God. And if you condition your heart, you know, what is wonderful about this principle is just as the body follows the feet, if you condition your heart's affections, then your soul's motions all follow uh, your heart, right? Your speech, your actions, your dress, your behavior, all will naturally follow if your affections are set on God and his holiness, right? Uh, I don't suppose that unless we are providentially hindered, either we would be late to the public service. So this heading is really the main point being made in our sermon, that we must prepare to meet with God as he is, otherwise we are practically fools, right? And the next three heads are simple applications that flow out of it. And I'll keep them brief, as I have mentioned before. They, uh, each of these points will be addressed in future sermons, uh, God willing. So our second heading on your bulletin is listen intently. What must we do when we go into the house of God? Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Um, if we don't come ready, prepared to hear God speak, we give the sacrifice of fools. We give the sacrifice of the atheist. Um, brethren, as you well know from 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, we don't come to hear a man speak to us or, or to read a book that was written by a man. We come to hear God himself. And there are two errors that arise if we don't realize that. First is we'll either give glory to men or we will despise God when we hear the word of God read or preached. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Who here will receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God? Do you not see that the Lord has a commendation for you, right, if you will receive it by faith? There is a commendation to the people of God like the Thessalonians who received these words, not as man's words, but as they are in truth, the holy word and speech of God that comes with all of his character that comes with all of his holiness, it comes with all of his power, as you heard this morning, that can bring a universe into existence. That's what faith grabs hold of. And that's what a fool doesn't grab a hold of. Because, you know, as you are well aware, as a man might go and preach the word of God and read the word of God, the atheist turns his nose at the word of God. And maybe they're just a bit more honest than many of us are, who will profess Christ, but when it comes to hearing the word of God, won't actually hear it as it is, the word of God. And the thing about hearing here, I think the word of God, this is not too much of a sidetrack, I don't think, is that this has always been the primary feature of worship in both Testaments, Old and New, right? Because here it is in the Old Testament. You are coming to hear God. And anytime we look to elevate other ordinances above the word of God, we go into a very dangerous place, right? Um, that's the papist error, of course. You remember, uh, it was Dabney, I believe, who said that the difference between the papist and the Protestant is the papist says, I go to mass, and the Protestant says, I go to preaching, right? Showing very plainly how the Catholic puts the, the, the ordinance there, supposed ordinance of uh, the supper as over the word of God, but the Protestant goes to hear the word. And so when you come to 
Hear the word. You must be, do you notice the words here? Be ready to hear. Ready to hear. That means there's a preparation, isn't it, that comes, right? And so what's the first way? uh, And let me just actually go backwards a little bit. One of the problems that we often have in American Protestantism is that we believe that the preaching is merely teaching, right? Oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to learn some more about the Bible. But actually, uh, the preaching of the word is worship. And what you do when you put yourself under the preaching of the word, and I was talking to uh, some brothers earlier before services, how, you know, in the old, older church buildings, the, the pulpit is much more elevated. And that's where you get the expression, right? I'm going under the preaching of the word almost. It's a visual representation that there is God, not the minister, but there is God speaking through the word and uh, I am under it. That's the posture of worship, that I am putting myself under the power and authority of God by his word. Right? And that's what we do when we come under the word of God. Um, and it is this truth that we have to condition our heart with. It is not that I'm coming to learn more about God, which you must, but that I'm coming to submit myself to God. And that's the difference in worship. That's what makes preaching worship. Otherwise, it's not, pre- it's not worship. Right? We can go have a Bible study. I think a lot of people are confused and they think that we can um, substitute uh, a, a preaching with study of the word. We should study the word. We should do it often. But there is something totally different about gospel ordinances and worship. We put ourselves under the authority of the word of God. And so we are to be ready to hear. And so one of the things that makes that clear here is the fact that it is uh, linked with the sacrifice of fools, right? So our um, hearing the word is uh, equated to a sacrifice of sort, an offering of our worship. We are offering ourselves and our attentiveness as a sacrifice to God. And if we won't hear, then we offer the sacrifice of fools. And so that's where we come to understand that the worship service is not about even the topics that you will attend to in preaching, right? You know, in some ways, and this is another uh, thing that we in the American church have to deal with, is it doesn't really matter uh, if the topic at hand is one you are interested in, right? Uh, it's not an act of worship if you will only submit yourself to the word that you are interested in. What makes it worship is, I don't care what I think, I think about what God thinks about every matter, right? Submitting every thought captive to Christ, right? Uh, It doesn't matter if I'm unmarried and the series is on, let's say, marriage, right? I have to be interested, and it's all about Christ anyway, but I'm more interested in what, my, my act of worship is I am interested in what God has to say on anything, on any matter, in every matter, right? This is the heart of Cornelius. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? All things. It doesn't matter if I like the topic or not, and you should, right? Come by faith that God speaks, right? And it doesn't matter what he has to say. Hebrews 4.2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so it requires faith 
It requires preparation to come to the house of God. And that's why preparing is so vital, as Solomon teaches. You know, one help, this is just a practical matter, take it or leave it, uh, is if you took uh, a look at the orders of service that I send out on Saturday, right? you can read the sermon texts, you can read the, the readings and the psalms and meditate upon them. And that will get your heart ready to engage with the Lord with his word. Right? What a thing it would be in the morning hours, even if you don't do it on Saturday, fine. But on the, the morning hours before the Lord's Day um, services, you are already had primed your heart. I've already met with Christ in these words. Now let me see what else he has to say to me. Um, and let me say, if you do come prepared, one of the best things about that is that you will find yourself not only hearers, but doers of the word. Hebrews 12 says in that solemn text, see that you do not refuse him that speaks, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that you are not to refuse him, not by saying, okay, I assent to everything you've said, Lord, but I am also going to be a doer and not just a hearer of the word. Really, am I worshiping God if I will just assent to what he has to say in the word of God, but won't actually do it? Is any of my presence here in the assembly of any value or any worth of any glory to God if I will hear what he has to say and nod my head and then after that walk uh, away from that word and not follow it, right? The sermon, as has been said as well, as we think not just on preparation but following after the services, uh, it is a truism that the sermon has only really begun by the preaching of it. Uh, it is meant to be uh, born fruit in our lives the rest of the week and into eternity, I suppose. And whenever you come to the word of God, um, you are to not refuse what he has to say, right? And so when he speaks and he commands, you don't refuse him, but you obey. When he speaks and he threatens you, you don't refuse him, but you repent. When God speaks and he gives you a promise, you don't refuse comfort but you believe it and take it. When God speaks and he invites you to Christ, you don't refuse him either. You see, otherwise you're not worshiping him. Right? In every text that has something to say, it's either a command, it's either a threat, it's either a promise, it's an invitation to the gospel itself. And so you have to ask yourself, am I refusing he that speaks? And now the most vital word for you to not refuse, of course, is the word of the gospel, right? I don't know if any of you here have been refusing, uh, especially young people, he that has been speaking to you Lord's day after Lord's day, holding himself out, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me for salvation, right? And for those of you who have refused to close with Christ, to uh, receive him by faith, I want you to think on a question if you are here and you are listening to this. And this is, I think, a very clarifying question. Which is a more heinous sin for you to commit today? To murder a man on your way home or to refuse to take the Son of God as your Savior? Which is the more heinous sin? The more heinous sin is to refuse Christ. It's to refuse him because God did not spare his own son for sinners. And you're saying that Christ died in vain. And his sacrifice is of no value and of no importance to you. Friend, it is far worse to refuse Christ than to murder uh, 18, 20 people at a mall. Far worse. 
for you to refuse Christ. So take God's son and don't despise him, friend. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, especially when he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, I'll leave that word before you as we consider our next heading, which is pray thoughtfully. Verse two, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Uh, As you will see contextually, this speaks more directly to making vows. However, all of our speech to God is regulated by this precept, including prayer. Uh, Our prayers, brethren, ought never be hasty, but they must be thoughtful. Uh, We often rush into our prayers and we blurt out babble without thinking. Think about how many filler words we often use. Oh, Lord, oh, Father, oh, Lord, Lord. And we just, I'm not saying you can't say things like that, but it becomes repetitive, meaningless filler words for us, right? Uh, Verse three, for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Um, The sense there is just as our business might cause fevered and jumbled dreams, so can our prayers be. Uh, So being busy and not really attending to the Lord and not really clearing our minds and our heart to pray, right, can end up with just a jumble. You've probably gone to pray and everything's just a jumbled mess, right? It's like you're thinking about this and then suddenly now I'm daydreaming instead of praying, right? But a quieted and uh, contemplative heart is the one best suited for prayer. And so the best way to do that is before you come to prayer, You ought to meditate both on the word of God so you know how to pray according to the will of God and also current providences. You need to be very thoughtful before you go to prayer. Like what are the needs, right? I think on my family. I think on my congregation. I think on the church at large. I think on my nation, right? And as you think on these things, already you're likely thinking and collating a nice list of things to pray about. Then you couple that with the will of God in these matters, And now you can come to prayer thoughtfully and earnestly. And Solomon here in these verses reminds you that the Lord is in heaven and we are on earth. And so we need to approach him with care, right? He is enthroned above. Think about any great power on the earth. Imagine if President Biden granted you an audience. He said, I want you, I'm inviting you rather, to come to the Oval Office and you have 15 minutes with me to say whatever it is you want from me. I think you would rather prepare for that, right? And if he's not your favorite president, as doubt he is any of ours, uh, think of anybody that would be more suited to an audience with. But you need to think of how carefully you would prepare to meet with the God of heaven, right? You are meeting with the king, uh, immortal, invisible, eternal. And so... Do not be hasty, Solomon says. Now, of course, I do want to counterweight that with, you are free to flee to the throne of grace anytime you are in need, in distress or whatever. But I'm talking about more set times of prayer when you're going to say, I'm going to do my devotional time or I'm going family worship or something like that. You are to be thoughtful and mindful and prepare to come to God. And really, we need to seek the Spirit's work in prayer for he will temper any rashness. Rashness in prayer begins when the flesh prays rather than uh, dependence on the spirit. Romans eight twenty six through 27. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so when you are rash, and when you burst into God's presence uh, hastily, you are not giving room for the Spirit's work, right? By faith, in prayer, you come with a deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'll let that be there just due to time. Uh, But the text says also, let your words be few. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And in like manner, verse 3 says in our text, uh, Jesus is essentially using this idea. Uh, He gave it, of course. But uh, Solomon says, a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Now, this is something I think we really need to grab a hold of, is that a godly man is known for having few words, not more. Proverbs 10:19 in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin sin is not lacking in other words but he that refraineth his lips is wise uh, we don't gain anything Jesus was very clear with this we don't gain any favor with God by multiplying our words or adding repetitions God is in heaven you're on the earth he knows what you need right isn't that sort of the foundation of prayer right Matthew 6, 8, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Right? Uh, Now, this does not mean that long prayers are of no value to God. Uh, Jesus had long seasons of prayers and he chastised the disciples for not watching and praying a single hour. But often, I think you know this, brethren, when we just seek to extend time in prayer, uh, prayer has ceased and we're just babbling on and on and on and on. And we're giving the sacrifice of fools. It's prayerless prayer, in other words. And we need to be on guard and recognize it. You know, these things take spiritual energy and they take spiritual fortitude. And I know the last thing that especially our society ever wants to do is is exert ourselves in anything, especially spiritual. But these are the things that have value to God. And so it has to have value to us. And the irony is that if we slow down and if we are more thoughtful, we may have shorter prayers. Right? That's what I've found always. When I prepare for prayer, my, shorter, my, my prayers are actually shorter, but they are more spirit-filled and more heartfelt. So in your private devotions, pray thoughtfully and pray carefully. In your family worship, pray thoughtfully and pray carefully. And in the public services, right, even though you are not uttering any of the words, you are to pray thoughtfully with heart, soul, and strength, when the minister leads the service. And the minister's charge is to pray carefully as he leads the people of God before the throne of grace because these are our prayers together and you must see them that way. They're not just the man up front, you know, sort of babbling on and on, but we have to engage with these prayers because they're being offered up to God by the minister, but they become our prayers together. And then we together uh, give our assent to them by saying amen. Why say amen if your mind has drifted away? You may even be committing a ninth commandment violation in that. Right? All of what has been said is truth and I desire it, but I haven't paid any attention. This is the sacrifice of fools. Right? There, there's no two ways about it, is there? 
that I can say amen and have not tracked at all with the prayer. What is that? But you might as well call that papist ritual, right? Because that's the thing the papists do. I just say my thing here and I do this thing there. Well, that's the sacrifice of fools. That's not the thing that spirit-led people do. So, anyhow, when it is time to pray, I would also encourage you in the public service, remember that you are coming to a place of great privilege, right? Christ has made a way for us uh, to come in prayer by his blood. Uh, Is this a small privilege that we can take it or leave it? Boys and girls, this is part of your preparation for, for the worship service, right? Your parents often want you to take care of, of business before worship because it's not a small thing to come before God Almighty in a way that Jesus has made a way through his blood. Um, Jesus wants you here, right? And that's the wonderful thing. You can have a little one, new one here tonight, today in our assembly. And Jesus wants you, he says, that he wants the children to come to him. And so as you... Come to the Lord. Don't despise his ordinances. Listen to the word. Uh, Pray. Engage with the prayers. Close your eyes as you pray. Listen very carefully at the matters that are before you in prayer. And add your amen when the minister, if the minister, is praying according to the will of God. Right? This is how we please the Lord and we give worship to him. And uh, I would also say this is not about uh, private devotions, but while I'm on the topic and I have your ear, I trust, um, pray earnestly with faith in your private devotions. Uh, you're almost never too young to begin to pray, especially if you're hearing and understanding what I'm saying, uh, to begin your private devotional life, children. Uh, earnestly pray to God. He is the God of heaven. He is your Father in Christ, and he wants to hear from you. And yes, he is a God that we have reverence for, but also thankfulness to, that he has given us a way to approach him. Uh, Let's consider our final directive with our remaining time, which is vow carefully. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Here's that same language. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Well, what is sadly lost today, and there will be at least one sermon on this in some future date, Lord willing, is the truth that vows we make before the Lord are weighty. Um, and that we are not to defer to pay our vows. In fact, he says here, it is the fool who does such a thing, right? Because the fool is the one who is the practical atheist again, who even as a Christian, right? You think on this, I have vowed. I know a vow is made before God, right? And God is going to more strictly bind me to whatever I have promised in the vow. And then to, to not think on that with the weight that it deserves, says you don't really believe God is and who he is, right? And that's why you offer the sacrifice of fools, right? Uh, A fool uh, is the one who would do such a thing. Uh, Make your vows prayerfully and consider the gravity of what you're saying before you vow, because God is the party who will hold you to it. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 22. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. You know, the interesting thing the Lord says, which really aggravates our guilt, is he does not require us to make vows. They are voluntary 
affairs, right? He says, I don't require them. If you shall forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So if you're going to vow, you best make sure to keep the vows that you have made. And here's the sad truth. I think I've run into many people like this, and I was in danger of this myself, is not actually even remembering what we have vowed. Do you recall all the vows of the covenants you have made? I, I, I'm not saying this to insult anyone, and it's aimed as much at me as anyone else. Only a fool would lose track of their vows, right? Because they are made to God. And so we are to regularly review the vows we have made. We're not to defer them. We are to keep them even to our own hurt to see if we have been paying them. You need to regularly, I do too, review our covenants and vows that are made. Uh, even for married people, right? A simple review of our vows would often convict us. Possible uh, thing for you to do. Before you make anniversary plans, maybe you should first review your vows uh, you have made before God concerning your spouse. Uh, do first things first. Uh, when you said for richer or for poorer, when you said in sickness or in health, when you said I will love, when you said I will obey, what has my conduct been in view of the vows that I have made uh, before God? Uh, it's not so much my spouse, right, that I owe the paying of these two. It is to God, right? Same goes with uh, our membership covenant, our baptismal vows. All of you who have had children baptized in a Presbyterian church have made vows to God to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Are you keeping track of them? You need to, right? We would be fools if we did not review them regularly given what they are. Uh, sad to say, for many of us, our vows are a bit like fire and forget after making them. Uh, you know, but that's even to... To, to renege on them in a sense, to forget the ones that we've made. Um, anyways, the Lord says in verse 6, Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? Uh, what he is saying here, right, is you are never to say, if it was a lawful vow, that it was an error to have made the vow. Uh, vows are a bit like a ratchet. They go in one direction, right? And that direction is to be kept perpetually until the time that may come for an expiration of them, right? Like at death with the marriage vows. Or if you have a vow that you have vowed to purpose to do something for the Lord if he does something uh, uh, in your life. Now, those all have expiration dates. But ordinarily, vows are perpetual, right? Perpetual. And he says it is so binding, you are never to say it was an error to make a lawful vow. Right? And the number one reason I have found that we abandon our vows is vows are designed to be sacrificial. And we just, we're just tired of paying our vows and what it costs us. Uh, they require self-denial. But Psalm 15 says that the Lord honors those who honor their vows to him, even when it comes with pain and sacrifice and hurt. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. This is one of the, 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 the most neglected verses, perhaps, in the Bible in our time. Because how many have abandoned their marriage vows 
when the going has gotten a bit rough. Right? When it requires a cost, our society says, it is unfair for you to bear a cost, and so just be done with the marriage. Right? Uh, same with church membership vows, same with any other vows that you might have made. Right? I think about ordination vows. We've had uh, several ministers as of late who have broken their vows because to keep them, to be under the uh, authority and discipline of the church, lawfully so, they flee discipline, even though they had sworn to God to submit to the discipline of the church. And so when ministers are doing this, I don't think it's a surprise that the people of God are doing such uh, awful things as well. But this is, and it's a shocking thing to see in a minister, right? That's practical atheism. That's what that is. That's practical atheism. You can preach your heart out all day that there is a God, but it is your conduct that tells you what you truly believe of God. But those that honor him, he promises he will honor in turn. So review your vows regularly, prayerfully. And practically, communion time is a good time to review the vows you have made with God, to repent of your breaches and keeping of them, but also an asking of grace to keep them. That's a helpful thing to prepare for the supper. Larger Catechism, question 174, calls the Lord's Supper a renewing of our covenant with God. Uh, but you can review your, your vows anytime, and you ought to do it regularly. And really, before you come to the house of God, in some sense, I'm not saying you have to do it every week, but we have to be clear uh, if whether or not we have kept the vows that we have made to God before we come to worship him. Well, as we close, and much more could be said, to not approach God in these ways would be to give to God what our text calls the sacrifice of fools, right? Going to the services without coming to engage with heart and mind and receive God's word in that way is of what purpose, right? If we come to attend to preaching and, and fall asleep or the singing is just the saying of some words, I just sort of read them out and sing them, and not the heart of faith, it becomes the sacrifice of fools. It's practical atheism. And how strong is Solomon here? He says they consider not, and this is our problem, we consider not, that they do what? Evil. And that's a sobering thing, and that's a convicting thing. And so when we prepare for service, uh, we need to keep our feet, we need to condition our hearts, because God says, prepare to meet thy God in Amos 4. But also for your comfort, friends, is we must remember that nothing we do in service, even when I'm at my most alert and most prepared, is of any value without Christ's mediation, right? Uh, we're convicted of these things. We repent of these things. We're glad that repentance is the grace of God, but our, our trust and our hope in worship is never that we do these things perfectly, but that we come, and this is even part of our coming by faith, right? And I think if we came with this thought in view, that I'm coming by faith that my mediator, Jesus, is the mediator of worship. And that as I come to him, he makes me and my service, both my, uh, my, my gifts to God, essentially, as that's what our service to God is considered, acceptable to God. But so many of us don't even come with that bare faith, so we must do that as well. Um, let us never run afoul then of the charge of hypocrisy. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You can honor God with your lips in the public service, but your heart can still be far from him. But that is to offer the sacrifice of the fool and to do evil. Amen. May God bless our meditation and may he help us. Let us arise and go to prayer.